Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with Hello that. and welcome like back to the podcast that is always up to speed like with Formula One Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton here On the cusp of another weekend on Groundhog Day Hammy, how's it going? Do we know if Punxsutawney Phil, I think that's the Groundhog's Day name, did, do we know if he saw his shadow? And if he saw his shadow, does that mean winter or an early spring? I can't, I can never remember, but whatever. How the heck are you, my friend? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for asking. And my gosh, man, it's it's crazy because it felt like the season just concluded and we're already one livery reveal into the 2023 I guess, lead up to the championship. It's crazy, man. How are you? How's the family? I'm good. Everybody's good. You know, just kind of doing our thing and just trying to make it to the weekend, right? And every time another week ticks over and we've reached another weekend means that we're just that much closer to the start of the 2023 Formula One World Championship. So that is uh, great news and uh, we're, we're excited about that. And another bit of good news is we think that we finally solved the issue with the unwanted and unpleasant advertisers and some cross-contamination that we hope finally got sorted out. We've been checking out. We haven't heard anything from you guys in the last couple of days, so hopefully that's all behind us. So if that's the case, very happy about that. As always, we want to mention our good friends, Magnus and the crew over at the Race Weekend magazine. Go over there to the theraceweekend.com, enter in our uh, promo code Pod, and receive 10% off. Hammy, your turn now. You're running that uh, contest uh, along with Alanis and Elizabeth with their Racing with Rich Energy about the wonderful, confusing world of rich energy. Remind us how we could get out on that one. Super pumped about this one. If you don't know, Alanis and Elizabeth will be joining us on a podcast that will be dropping on February 19th. On that podcast live, we are going to draw three lucky winners who will receive a copy of their book about the Rich Energy Haas Racing Saga. Uh, the only thing you need to do to enter this contest is to add us on Twitter, find the tweet. It is pinned to the top of our feed. Just follow the instructions. It only takes 10 seconds. We have 102 entries right now. So based on the number of books we're giving away, if you enter, you've got about a 3% chance of, <laughs> of winning this bad boy. Uh, but hopefully we'll get lots more entries between now and then. And just a couple of other updates before I kick it back over to you, big buddy. MotoGP 101 with Ed Spencer and Maddie is in production as we speak. The three of us nice. sat down earlier this week as we spent a little bit of time carving out the agenda. And I don't know that this is necessarily going to become a weekly segment, but I thought it was kind of interesting. So I thought I would share it. We had two very engaging polls on our Twitter feed this week. Uh, for whatever reason, people really, really lit up when we posted these. One of them was about the Haas livery, which we're going to speak to in a couple of minutes. Overwhelmingly, of the 265 people that responded to the poll, 50 
58% of people indicated they liked it. And I can't wait to hear your thoughts in a couple of minutes. And then one other poll that we did throw up on the Twitter feed this week was pineapple on pizza, yes or no. That had a whopping 300 responses. And of those 300 <laughs> respondees, 53% like pineapple on pizza. My friend, you and I have never talked about this. It, this is like the nuts and bolts, the basics of humanity. Are you a are you a pineapple on pizza guy or not? It, it honestly it depends. Like if if I have like a you know the quote unquote Hawaiian pizza, which is just normal pizza with like uh, you know pineapple thrown, I'll have it. I don't go out of my way to get it. But certainly if it's on offer, I won't turn it down. I, I'm a kind of a pizza guy and it's not my go-to, but I definitely, uh, I, I'm definitely not against the, the pineapple on pizza. How about yourself? I know that big, when it comes to big, the- big fan, big are? fan of okay. pineapple on pizza. Yeah. For me, the two, the two absolute must haves on my pizza are jalapeno, spicy jalapeno and, nice. and, pineapple. In fact, I usually keep uh, a container of sliced up frozen pineapple in our freezer. So mm -hmm. whenever we are making pizza or we're pulling a frozen pizza out of the freezer, I can throw on a little bit of pineapple. But yeah, 53% yeah. uh, of respondents said they like pineapple on pizza, nice. which is not why people tune in, but I thought it was interesting. <laughs> I figured I would share it. Yeah. Well, actually, when it comes to the, like the, the two toppings you mentioned, pineapples and jalapenos, I'm all about the jalapenos. I, I love jalapeno yeah, peppers. Yeah. yeah 100%. Um, oh, what was I going to talk about now? There was something else. Uh, well, I try to remember that was. Congratulations to Kimmy and uh, Mintu Raikkonen, who announced this week that they're having another baby. Well, that's uh, exciting. The the Ice Man. What's he doing nowadays? Wasn't he involved last year with like like a motocross team or something like that? What, what's what's Kimmy up to the, uh, these days in Formula One retirement? Well, he's been flirting a little bit with NASCAR, making his appearances oh, over that's there. Right. Obviously, yes. he's yep. involved with the Forgot motocross team. I think as a team principal or maybe a part owner, but something he's like definitely. Definitely been busy. And it's funny because I think when he walked away from the sport, my my understanding was he would vanish from vanish from motor racing entirely. And while he certainly hasn't been active in the Formula One space, mm -hmm. he's definitely been in, involved. And I know he's spending a lot of time with one of his kids in karting as well, hoping to get another Raikkonen on the Formula One grid one day. And mark my words, I would assume that's a strong possibility. But yeah, very active. And congratulations to Kimi and Mintu for for the news of a, a forthcoming baby. Yeah, that's great news. So you talked about the uh, the Haas livery and pizza. Oh, that's what it was. So given the choice now, Hammy, this is like getting back to the real burning questions here. <laughs> if you're offered two like fast food items or like snacky kind of like uh, items like that, pizza and chicken sandwich, I know you're a chicken sandwich kind of guy. Which one are you going to? You, you can only pick one of those two things. You oh, got chicken one. sandwich. Yeah, that's, that's what I figured. Spicy chicken sandwich every time. Yeah. As long as it's got... Pickles on it. Yeah, absolutely. Every yeah. time. What about you? Pizza or a chicken sandwich? I'd probably go uh, pizza, but you know, I, I love a good chicken sandwich myself. I have to admit uh, that's that, that that could be on a certain day, a very tough call. <laughs> speaking, by the way, speaking of spicy sam or chicken sandwiches, I tweeted out the other day from the Scuderia F1 podcast uh, Twitter account. I, I tweeted out that I was at uh, Jack in the Box a couple of days ago. Oh, yeah, and yeah, had, yeah. I had the cluck chicken sandwich, which is their like big big chicken sandwich. And we got a response from the official Jack in the Box Twitter account. He said, cluck yeah, 
which I thought was kind of amusing. And of course, I responded right away, like, bring Jack in the box to Canada. Exactly. But I didn't get a response yeah. to that. I know there's, there's a, a certain Formula One podcast that wouldn't, you know, my, you know, you know, we've had some sponsor issues, advertising issues lately. I mean, maybe Jack <laughs> should give us a call. Is that what you're suggesting? chicken sandwiches. Well, that might be a little bit unhealthy, but, you know. It might be worth it. Anyhow, just getting back to the calendar. We've had one car launch this week with the Haas coming up on Friday. Tomorrow is Friday, isn't it? The third, yes. Red Bull's doing their launch. Monday, Williams is doing their launch. Tuesday, Alfa Romeo. Then on the 11th, you have Alfa Tauri. On the 13th, uh, you have McLaren and Aston Martin. The 14th on Valentine's Day is uh, Ferrari. 15th is Mercedes. 16th is Alpine, the 23rd to the 25th is preseason testing in Bahrain. And then on the 24th of February, the final season of Netflix's Drive to Survive is going to air before Netflix goes the way of blockbuster video, if you kind of buy into that thing and some of the things going around online. But we'll talk about that later. Save it for the, Sunday. The, the Save Netflix, it for Sunday. The Netflix discussion, we, we will have that uh, in a couple of days, but uh, we'll get that. We'll, we'll get to it because that's a bit of a, a juicy one. So total laps completed by the 2023 Formula One grid. So this is all the drivers in the cars, all the laps that they have done in Formula One over the years, leading the way at uh, a very impressive 19,153 laps. Is the two-time world champion from 2005 and six, Fernando Alonso, followed by Lewis Hamilton, 17,681 laps. Sergio Perez, I'm surprised to see Sergio up there, 13,000 laps for him. Valtteri Bottas, 11,270. Nico Hulkenberg, 9,326. Max Verstappen catching up quickly at 8,500. Carlos Sainz has almost uh, driven the same amount of laps as Max. You have uh, K-Mag, Lance Stroll, Esteban Ocon, and Pierre Gasly. Charles Leclerc almost uh, clocking it in just under 5,500 laps. Lando Norris, George Russell, Alex Albon, Yuki Tsunoda, Joe Guan Yu, who's only logged 1,060 laps. And then you have Nick De Vries, who has uh, clocked in at 53 laps. Of course, that happened at Monza last year. And the last two drivers that we have is Oscar Piastri and Logan Sargent. Neither of them have been in a competitive Formula One race, and they will open their accounts in just over a month from now. So that's a kind of a cool stat. So before we get into the news of the week, we've got an email here from uh, Phil Amato from uh, Adelaide, Australia. And uh, Phil has to say, hey guys, just finished Lucky, the F1 world according to Bernie. It really is worth a watch. It reminded me of all the politics of Formula One all those years ago. I was only 12 or 13 years old back then, and I really didn't understand it at all. If you know me by now, one of my favorite uh, episodes was episode five. It is the 1986 Adelaide Grand Prix held in Adelaide, Australia on November 16th, 1986, and was the final race of the Formula One Championship that year. And I was there in the stands. Alan Prost won the race for McLaren, securing the 86 World Championship title. Prost's victory was the culmination of a season-long battle with his teammate and rival, Nigel Mansell. Mansell, who was leading the championship before the race, had to retire due to a tire failure. Uh, the 86 Adelaide Grand Prix was remembered as one of the most dramatic and intense races in F1 history. What an amazing sport. Those guys were very brave back then. 
be prepared for some very sad memories as well. Yeah, I remember that watching that uh, race as a kid. You know, I think that was one of those races way back in the day that you would get kind of like extended highlights on CBC. I, I, I seem to remember watching a lot of races with my dad back then. And I think they'd all be compressed into about an hour. But I, I certainly remember that uh, moment when when Nigel Mansell's tire exploded. And I, I was a huge, I mean, he was like the first driver as a kid I really started to cheer for. And I just felt after that race, well, will this be that one moment that we'll always wonder, would, would Nigel Mansell, was that this is one chance to win a championship? Took him another six years, but he finally did uh, did get his chip uh, in the end but interestingly remember last week uh, we said there was there there i i think uh, we we basically said you know hell would freeze over before we would want to sit down and watch you know a a a, a birdie ecclestone documentary basically you know all put together by birdie but interesting uh, phil basically saying that's uh, really worth a watch so i don't think it's it, it's not available here in canada is it hammy right where, where, that, where was not it? that i no. know of not that i know of yeah, I mean, you could go to some of the darker corners of the interwebs, and and I'm sure you could find it there. But where was it that you saw? It, it was it was available on in, in the UK, right? Was it to stream, or was this on 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 like ITV or yeah, BBC it was or to something stream. Like that? It was to stream, yeah. and I I think was it was it the UK variant of uh, Paramount? Well, Plus, well, maybe? let's not use variant we've heard that word way too much in the past two okay. and a half years <laughs> but 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 go on the uk version of uh what, what was it <laughs> sorry i had to say that. the uk version yeah uh, you know what i don't know it off the top of my mind but i'll make sure we find it out so we can uh make sure we can mention it later in the show yeah yeah okay that's uh, yeah it's uh, sort of uh, evading me so maybe it's worth that uh, checking out uh after all okay let's get into some uh, some of the news and there's been some Sorry, discovery plus discovery plus that's definitely it, that's not right. paramount plus discovery plus there you go thank you very much for that okay so as we sit here it is now thursday evening and there is some news and signs pointing to maybe by the time you listen to this on Friday, that Red Bull and Ford are going to announce a cooperation or a deal from 2026 uh, onwards. Um, so there's still a partner for Red Bull after the Porsche deal fell through last summer. And that was a really weird one, right, Hammy? I mean, that just kind of felt like that was going to happen at some point. All signs were kind of like, or the, the stars were aligning that it was going to happen at the uh, the Austrian Grand Prix around July fourth uh, weekend, and it just uh, it just it just disappeared like a puff of smoke. <laughs> Anyways, um, so the details at this point are not known. This is just all speculation and uh, rumors. But uh, interesting, if this happens, this will be a huge, huge, huge deal if Ford come back into Formula One and. I'm not really all that knowledgeable about these things, but is Ford the largest uh, automaker on the planet, or they've they got to be in the top? Toyota, yeah, is they're it Toyota in the top yeah. five, but yeah, it's typically yeah. Toyota. And yeah. okay. I, I couldn't agree more. This is super exciting, and the article that you and I are referencing here is from Andrew Benson, the chief F1 yep. writer at the BBC, and he writes: Ford will join forces with the team from 2026, part funding the engine Red Bull are already designing for the new regulations to be introduced that year, 2026. The agreement is expected to be officially unveiled 
field at Red Bull's 2023 season launch in New York on Friday. Red Bull, who will continue to use Honda engines in Formula One until 2025, declined to comment on the deal. Negotiations between world champions Red Bull and Ford were first reported by the BBC Sport last month, and the agreement leaked via the Italian media on Thursday. Ford had sent the information to news agency ANSA. It was published in error before being withdrawn shortly afterwards. It will be Ford's first factory involvement in F4 since 2004, after which they Mm. pulled out following the sale of their Jaguar team to Red Bull. So that's the other really interesting thing about this is put aside for a minute the fact that you've got this big, huge American-based OEM. And it might be American-based, but Ford has a huge presence in Western Europe and other parts of the world. It's a global brand. But it's interesting because, of course, Ford's last kind of factory team was Jaguar from 2000 to 2004. And when Ford sold that team. They sold it to Red Bull. In fact, Red Bull is still based at the same base, the same factory in Milton Keynes that Ford was operating and that Stuart Ford was operating before that. So it kind of, Ford's kind of going full circle. They let the team go. Red Bull had immense success with Renault, has had immense success with Honda. The Honda deal is kind of coming to an end, and then Ford is re-entering. It's going to be crazy, and I, I think we don't know all the details. It just an, an FITU should definitely title this podcast "Ford Coming Back to F1?" Question mark or exclamation mark? Because I think that's I think that's a really great tease to get people to listen to the show. But it's it's understood that because Red Bull has made such significant process, at least with the internal combustion engine side of the power unit for 2026, that Ford's involvement will be injecting expertise and financial capital to support the electrification of that power unit. So it will presumably be badged a Ford Red Bull powertrains engine. Again, we don't know. We don't know what the what the marketing of the team is going to look like for the next few years while they continue to run a Honda power unit. I, I'm hoping, I expect that we would learn more. It's very possible that those Honda badges that we were so excited to see reappear on the Red Bull at the end of this year might vanish and it might become a Honda built, developed, shipped power unit with a Red Bull powertrains tag on it. It's all very, very interesting and we'll find out all the additional details tomorrow. But my friend, your first impression, it's been two decades since Ford's been involved in F1 in a meaningful way. Are you excited to see them coming back onto the grid? Oh, absolutely. I, I did not realize it had been that long, 18 years since they they broke off and, and, and sold off a Jaguar. That That is amazing. I'm just trying to think, though, Mark, going back and I mean, like you say, it's almost 20 years ago. What were those engine brand uh, branded as? Were they branded as Ford? Was it was a Jaguar Ford or were they Ford Cosworth engines? Because that name Ford Cosworth or Cosworth is such an iconic name when it comes to Formula One. And you know that retro is in, you know, retro never goes out of style. I would love to see these uh, engines branded as as a Ford Cosworth. I think that would be really, really, really cool. But it is it is amazing, right, to, to see that that they are back. Or at least we hope so at the time of this, uh, we're recording this, uh, this program, but I'm very, very excited to to, to see them coming back because... You know, like you say, they're a huge global brand. It's an OEM, and it's just exciting to see that they're they're not exactly lining up at the door, but it is just in general very, very positive developments to see companies like Ford, like Audi, etc., coming back into Formula One, and you know, n- not just going to 
you know, as you know, it, they're coming in in a major way is what I'm trying to get at. Referencing Wikipedia to answer your question for a, a mm-hmm. few moments ago, in 2004, Jaguar Racing uh, rocked a Cosworth CR6, okay. Jordan Ford rocked a Ford RS2, and Minority Cosworth rocked a Cosworth CR3L. So we had three, and that, that's the other crazy thing of the teams on the grid that year, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 teams, 30% of the grid that year rocked a forward power unit. So wow, the other wow. thing that's going to be really interesting about what we're going to find out tomorrow, and maybe we don't learn as much is we all know that that Red Bull powertrain slash forward power unit will power the Red Bulls. We don't really know yet what's going to power the Alpha Tauris. We have to, we have to assume it's going to be the Red Bull powertrain because it's the parent company. And it would make sense that you're going to create that unification between the two. But it could always be that maybe Honda ends up powering an Alpha Tauri or Alpha Tauri is spun off, which is kind of my my dream. But <laughs> super, super exciting. And I'll just continue reading here from this Andrew Benson piece. And I quote, Ford has a rich history in F1, the Cosworth DFV8 engine it funded dominated the sport from 1967 until the advent of the turbo era in the early 1980s the dfv is the most successful engine in f1 history winning 155 races until its final victory um in a terrell in the 1983 us grand prix east in detroit ford continued to have success in f1 until 2003 winning a further 21 grand prix the last with jordan's giancarlo fischichella in brazil in 2003 the move comes as ford's historic us market rival general motors is attempting also to enter f1 with the American Andretti Global Organization. So it's definitely a company that has a rich heritage and a rich history in F1. And I think they'll be welcome back to the grid. Really, there couldn't be a much better partner for them to do it with. Uh, Andrew Benson here indicates that Red Bull Powertrains already has 500 people in Milton Keynes working specifically on the powertrain itself. So Ford just has the opportunity to inject some additional expertise in in terms of the synthetic fueling of the electrification of the power unit. Of course, electrification is now being seen throughout Ford's global lineup. We heard earlier this week that they're expanding production of their electric vehicles in the North American market, dropping prices. This is really cool. And I'm excited to see, I'm excited for the news tomorrow, but I'm really glad this story broke early enough that you and I could talk about it today because there would have been nothing worse for us to record this (laughs) podcast without talking Ford and then for the Ford news to drop tomorrow. So very excited. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's funny, you did uh, mention Alpha Tauri and maybe uh, like a Honda link up there because I'm just going to quote something that popped up in the chat on YouTube from Dead Randy who said, it's cute that Red Bull pretends that Alpha Tauri is a different team and launches on a different day. (laughs) (laughs) Cheeky, but uh, I I think that's a very, very accurate uh, observation uh, from Randy. Yeah. So yeah, no, I I agree. I think this is huge news. And it's got to be like my pet peeve that, you know, all these important people in Formula One never check with us first to make sure that their big news aligns with our drop schedule, you know, but (laughs) I guess, you know, maybe one of these days is, hey, guys, just want to loop you in, but I'm dreaming. Anyhow, moving right along to the the, the next uh, bit of news is that uh, the FIA has formally opened a new process for new or potentially new Formula One teams to join the grid. So this is like an interesting one, right? I mean, th- this story kind of keeps 
rolling along. And then this is, uh, you know, we, we talked at length uh, last week about uh, FIA President uh, Mohammed Ben Suleim and his comments to, uh, just uh, regarding the value of Formula One and, uh, you know, the, uh, what shall we say, the um, passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, you know, the, the well, I would say, the well, maybe even the appropriateness, but maybe, you know, why did he just jump into it? Anyhow, uh, he's, um, you know, he did say earlier this year that uh, they, they did want to reevaluate the idea um, on how they can get... Um, you know, new people, new teams involved and interested in joining the Formula One. And so on a, a statement that was issued recently by the FAA, they said that they would evaluate uh, the potential of new teams based on what they call, quote, rigorous financial and technical analysis, as well as sustainability and positive societal impact criteria, end quote. I don't know what that means, but it sounds like a lot, a lot of work. I mean, they're going to obviously do a deep dive on number one. Does this potential team have the the financial clout to f- properly fund and participate in Formula One? The technical uh, analysis, which would be, you know, do they have the knowledge and the capability to build a competitive uh, Formula One uh, car, as well as sustainability. So that that's an interesting one. Sus- sustainability on what level? And positive uh, societal impact uh, criteria. Again, what is that based on? Is that like their carbon footprint? Is it where their their factory, their headquarters is based? Like what, what you know that I mean the first part of that rigorous financial and technical analysis, that part I can get my head around fairly e- you know, easily. But the second part, sustainability and positive societal impact criteria. That sounds really cool. It sounds really noble. It sounds like, you know, something you should be doing in this day and age as a regulator. I just don't know, Hammy, what the heck that means. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe and, it's just and- me. And furthermore, this is all meaningless. This is all meaningless, empty words, shallow press releases because the teams and Formula One, the commercial rights holder, Liberty, F1, they want no part of this. And 
We exactly. talked recently about the discord between the FIA, the teams, and Formula One. Well, the FIA is pushing ahead with this, despite the fact that the teams and the commercial rights group just keep pushing back that we're not ready. We want to be involved. We will be involved. This isn't a unilateral decision. Mm-hmm. They're not happy with the fee that any potential entrant would pay. They're overwhelmingly dissatisfied with the Andretti Global Motorsports bid. This is just going to create more discord. And it's it's fascinating because I, I want to know where this is going to go. And, and I, I want to know what kind of communication is, is happening, if any, between Paris, the FIA, and, and Liberty at this point. Because you talked a couple of minutes ago about the fact that Mohammed bin Salman had that announcement a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, that the FIA is going to open up an interest, uh, expressions of the interest process. Yes. And this is the more formal application process whereby teams have to formally submit a $20,000 fee plus all of this supporting documentation to support the viability of their bid. But at the same time, F1 wants no part of this. The teams are not satisfied with the anti-dilution fee, the $200 million, which is in the 2020 Concord Agreement. The commercial rights group has no desire to proceed with the new team at this point. And none of them are particularly warm to the team that is being rumored to, well, really the only team at this point that's been rumored to plan to submit a bid. So it's juicy and it's interesting to talk about, but you can't get super excited about a new team when there's so much discord between all of the different parties involved right now. The other consideration, the other concern, I think, is ultimately the Concord Agreement has an allowance for 12 teams, 24 teams, sporting regulation as well, 24 te- or sorry, 24 cars, 12, 12, 12 teams on the grid. And the reality is, if you look at the infrastructure that supports Formula One, the garages, the tracks, all of that kind of stuff, it's really difficult to see a world in which there are more than 12 teams. And, and the fear is that if you rush to add two teams to the grid now, well, you've kind of pigeonholed yourself because you've, you've backed up the grid in the sense that even if there's a truly viable entry that comes along in two years or three years from now, how are you going to get them on the grid? And I think that's one of the reasons why the teams are one of the te- reasons the teams are so resistant to to pursue a new bid at this point. I think the big one though is is one the teams are resistant to add a team because they don't want to share the prize money because they don't believe that the existing bidder in Andretti is going to provide enough value to offset the dilution that they're going to experience in their prize money. But I also think the anti-dilution fee of $200 million to them is seen as a bargain. And if a new team can get on the grid for $200 million, what does that say about the valuation of their individual teams, which should be in the billion dollar range? And by the way, I don't know if you saw that this week, but um, Forbes released a list of the most valuable major league soccer teams. The two LA mm. teams, LAFC and LA Galaxy, clocked in at just at $1 billion and $960 million. So the two LA teams are worth a billion dollars each. That's major <laughs> league soccer teams. There's absolutely yeah. no reason why a Formula One team shouldn't be valued at over a billion dollars, but it's it's hard to it's hard to substantiate that when you're allowing a new team on the grid for a bargain basement price. So again, I want more teams, but I wanted new teams to enter the grid when both of the parents want it. And that's something that they're both aligned on. And that's just not what the case is right now. 
Yeah, I mean that that's that's just it, right? That uh, to me is the heart of the conversation. It seems that you have the regulator on one side and then you've got uh, Liberty and the Formula 1 teams themselves on the other side, and it seems that it's not just a little gap. It seems like there's a giant yawning it's an chasm. Ocean. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's exactly. Ocean. They are just miles and miles apart. So why the the FIA keeps like issuing these statements and keeps you know, keeps bringing this up week after week is just uh, at this point i i find that just a, a little bit bizarre because i'm not really sure well i i mean i kind of see what their end game is is because they want to get a couple more teams into formula one it's just why do they seem to be pursuing this publicly when there is this yawning chasm between the I two of them so i couldn't agree more yeah. like why is all of this playing out in public like how hard and i'm faulting everybody here how hard is it for the commercial rights group and the teams and the fia to have some closed door meetings more scary is perhaps those things have happened and the mm -hmm. FIA continues to, like you say, issue these public yeah. proclamations and these invitations for an expression of interest to join the sport. And now this formal application process, it just, it looks good. It looks really, really bad on the sport that there's such discord right now, especially yeah. given the fact that, that again, and I was thinking about this earlier today, and, and I apologize, I'm stuttering a little bit, but <laughs> I was thinking about this earlier today that all of the great stuff that's happened to Formula One in the past three or four years has really been engineered by the commercial rights holder. The Netflix deal, oh, yeah, the new yeah, TV 100%. deals, the development yep. of the app, the social media presence, all of that stuff has been engineered by the commercial rights group that the FIA, in a sense, has been has been a, just kind of along for the ride. And I think they've done more damage than they have good. If you look at the fallout from Abu Dhabi and the issue with the driver jewelry last year and these ongoing disputes, the, the fact that the FIA continues to dominate all of our conversation that in spite of the FIA, Liberty's got the sport in a really, really good place. And I just wish that the FIA and, and Formula One could solve some of these issues quickly and effectively behind closed doors. Yeah, it, it it is interesting, right? I mean, the the FIA as the regulator, they they sort of kind of have to be along for 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 the ride, but I mean, they they have their own role. But it's it's just like to me, it kind of feels like they're almost stepping out, trying to be more than what they're supposed to do as a regulator. But like I say, I just find it a little bit funny. But I love how you use the word proclamation. I kind of had this this image of uh, Mohammed Ben Suleim walking through the streets of Paris. I guess that's where they're they're based, right? With like with a bell and a big scroll saying, <laughs> hear ye, hear ye, in his role of FIA town crier. But uh, yeah, I mean, that that's, uh, I think, proclamation, I think, is a great way to, uh, <laughs> to Daily, describe it. we are it. so overdue for a break, by the way. That that that's fine. We'll keep pushing along here. I'll I'll insert one in somewhere sneakily in uh, the, the the first fifteen or twenty that's minutes after the, the fact. Production magic that people don't realize you know it, you baby. Do. <laughs> because I'm I'm all like like excited now because I'm looking at the first pictures of a real 2023 Formula One car. Sure, it's a has, but Hammy. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the lowest, 10 being the highest, where does the Haas rate for you? I'm looking at the pictures. I've been going through the gallery on the Formula1.com website. I like it. I'm going to give it a 7.79 to get really technical because it's all about, you know, the decimals and formula. You're shaking your head. You're such a jerk. 7.79. <laughs> 
Yeah. No, seriously. Like, uh, what, what do you think? I like it. I think it looks sharp. It's it's mostly black with white and uh, some red highlights on it. MoneyGram is the big uh, predominant sponsor. Has still features uh, and you know quite predominantly on the radiators. I think it's a sharp looking car. I think it looks nice, despite my, you know, my 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 rather chintzy 7.79 rating out of 10 it's a nice looking car well i'll I'll give the credit where credit is due yeah very much agree i think the car looks fantastic and i think they did really well to integrate their new title sponsor moneygram into the livery i will note and and i'm hoping our listeners have picked up on this but technically these are these are articulated as being car reveals but in my opinion they're very much livery reveals i I don't think yeah. I don't think any car in in Formula One in 2022, 2023 are showing anything that even remotely resembles what they're going to roll out in Bahrain in about a month from now. I don't think these cars really resemble what we're going to see in preseason testing. So for me, I, I look at these cars and I, I kind of pick up on a few design cues here and there, but I don't think it's worth sharing any meaningful analysis because there's such a likelihood that that it's to throw their competitors off or it's not something that's going to be in place by the time we get to winter testing. But as a livery, I think it's good. I, I'm still disappointed that we have wheel covers and I get why for aerodynamic reasons we have wheel covers. I think they're pretty good. They're black matching the rest of the car. They've got that red oval uh, around the outside of where the the guns would pull the nut out. But it looks, it looks neat. It's kind of black and then the fin, the shark fin's black with the MoneyGram logo on it. The rear wing is is red, which is a nice accent against the black and the white. And it has Haas in white against it. The top of the halo is white. The very, very top part of the car is from the nose leading up to the cockpit is white. It's a good looking car, man. And based mm-hmm. on, I think, the poll that we had, overwhelmingly people really liked it or they kind of liked it. Uh, good job. Good job, God, or good job to Haas. I will say, embarrassingly, as much as I despise Rich Energy, I still think that gold and black Rich Energy Haas from 2019, 2018, 2019, I still think that was a great looking car, but this is a, a really nice looking car as well. Yeah, well, that uh, that that rich energy car was basically a reboot of the late seventies, early eighties Lotus and the John Play. Even though you know neither of us are obviously fans of tobacco sponsorship for obvious reasons, but that John Player special, that that black and gold. I mean, it's a classic look. Uh, The I do have one criticism on the uh, the the livery for the Haas is that the driver's number is quite small. It's right at the back, uh, just uh, beneath the shark fin. It's white. It's not very big. I and didn't yet, even see that. Yeah, it's tiny. See, it's tiny. And, you know, compared to, say, like last year's Mercedes, like Lewis had his 44 on the side of his car in that Volt yellow. I mean, you could tell it was Lewis a mile away, right? And, and this, I mean, they, they've obviously moved away, Has I mean, they've moved away from like that low vis battleship gray color scheme that they had when they first came into Formula One back in 2016. That is my only criticism is that the driver's number, and they got 27 on here because uh, this is a uh, Nico Hulkenberg's car. It, to, to me, it's a little bit too small, and people might, uh, you know, the the cynics out there will be like, "Well, who cares? Hass is not going to be up there at the front of the grid, anyways." But 
regardless, uh, you know, that's uh, for me, that's a little bit irrelevant. It's just like when I see a car in picture that if I don't see the driver's helmet right away, you know, the next thing I'm kind of focusing in on is the the, the number. And even on the nose, it's a little bit more predominant, but still it, it's black on white. It's italicized. It's fairly small. That that's my only major criticism of it. They could be make it stand out a little bit. I don't know if they need to go volt yellow or Dayglo orange or something like that, but uh, certainly uh, that's a uh, room for improvement. Mark, I'm going to read something that, and I I didn't think to pull this out. I saw somebody on Reddit had screenshotted this, so I just forward it. But from the sporting yes, I was regulations, ask you about this from yes. the sporting regulations, here's what's listed under car livery and competition numbers. So under car livery, the provisions of the code relating to national colors shall not apply to the championship. Both cars entered by a competitor, so a team, must be presented in substantially the same livery at every competition. Any significant change to this livery during a championship may only be made with the agreement of the FIA and the commercial rights holder, so Liberty in order that the cars of each competitor may may be easily distinguished from one another. So so in order for the two cars from the same team to be distinguished from one another whilst on the track, the onboard cameras located above the principal rule structure of the first car must remain as it's supplied by the competitor. So that, uh, that component has to be black. And the second car must be predominantly fluorescent yellow. So we get that question all the time. Why is one black, one's why yellow? Well, actually, it's in the sporting regulation it's required d so again under car livery the name or the emblem of the make of the car must appear on the front of the nose and in either case be at least 25 mil at its largest dimension the name of the driver must appear on the external bodywork of the car and be clearly eligible and finally under car livery each car will carry the competition number of its driver as published by the fia at the beginning of the championship or the competition number that has been allocated to his replacement, so replacement driver, in accordance with Article 32.4c. This number must be clearly visible from the front of the car and on the driver's crash helmet. And then finally, and this is much shorter, competition numbers. Prior to the start of the 2014 Formula One World Championship, competition numbers were permanently allocated to drivers by ballot. Such numbers must then be used by that driver during every championship. A driver's career in Formula One will be deemed to have ended if he does not participate in a competition for two entire consecutive championships. Any new drivers um, either at the start or during a championship will also be allocated permanent competition number, blah, blah, blah. So the main takeaways here under car livery is that the team's two cars must be substantially similar. Um, if they want to change the livery, they need to get an approval from Liberty and they need to get the approval from the FIA. Um, the... In order for the two cars to be easily distinguishable, the onboard cameras have to be black. One has to be fluorescent yellow. And the name or the emblem of the make of the car must be on the front. And the name of the driver must be uh, eligible or legible on the external bodywork of the car. Yeah, all those things that make sense. And then I think that was like uh, one of the things last year is like, why why is Lewis uh, rocking the the colors, the the fluorescent yellow, which is, you know, clearly meant for the second car. I guess uh, Lewis uh, just uh, really wanted uh, that uh, that volt yellow, that fluorescent yellow, which I I think looked uh, really, really good. But yeah, I mean, uh, none of this is a real surprise, but uh, just talking about like the, the competition numbers now. So 
is it 2014 when they switched to these personal numbers? Am I reading that correct? Because, I mean, they've been around for a while now before it was just, uh, you know, they, they had their assigned numbers, but afterwards, they, you know, because Lewis has 44, Lando has four, Charles is 16, and Max, well, Max went from 33 to number one as, uh, as world champion, uh, which was like the traditional thing was that each driver would have whatever number they'd been assigned that year, and Ferrari always had 27 and 28 as uh, as as a, as a tribute to Gilles Villeneuve, who was killed at Zolder in 1982, and those are the numbers that they had that year. And then they they, they kept those numbers for for decades afterwards, right? As a, a, a tribute to, to to Gilles. But yeah, I, I guess was it 2014? It must be if I'm reading that correctly. If so, that kind of blows my mind a little bit because those personal numbers have been around a little bit longer than I, I actually realized. Anyways, Hammy, let's take a, a real break uh, right now. When we come back, uh, there's a lot more to talk about. And uh, there's a little bit uh, of tie-in with Haas, and we'll get to that in a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, welcome back to the show. And yes, as I said uh, before the break, uh, we have some Haas-adjacent news, not Haas uh, directly. I mean, we were just talking about their car reveal before the break here. And via McLaren's official Twitter account, uh, Twitter account, need more coffee here, it's getting late. It said uh, McLaren will be able to call on at Schumacher Mick as reserve driver during the 2023 F1 season as part of our arrangement with Mercedes. Ladies, welcome to the family, Mick. So, Mark, what do you think? Good, uh, a, a good move for Mick Schumacher. Obviously, uh, we, you know, he had that uh, that seat at Haas for two years, parted ways at the end of last season, but uh, ends up as a reserve driver for a pretty good Formula One team. I don't think this is a bad uh, move uh, for for the youngster. I think this is a good place that he can maybe marinate and uh, and hopefully mature a little bit uh, and be around some very good uh, people and uh, obviously one exceptionally good driver in uh, Lando Norris and well Oscar Piastri at least on paper looks good. But I think this is a good place for for uh, Mick to end this up is at such in a the meantime, great right? Story, right? Like I think we yeah. all like Mick, and I think we were all I a think little so, bit yeah. sad to see him lose his seat. I think. 
I especially, and I know you were ecstatic that he was going to have the opportunity to go to Mercedes and be surrounded and and enveloped in that atmosphere and with that culture. And I think now by being involved with McLaren as well, it just it amplifies his exposure to different processes and protocols and cultures and systems. It's going to involve twice as much sim time, potentially twice as much time driving practice sessions. And it also doubles the likelihood that he might get into a Grand Prix this year, because when you're a reserve driver for one team, well, the likelihood of either one of those drivers missing a race is not super high, even in the post-COVID as we migrate out of the COVID world. But now that you're going to be the reserve driver for two teams, there's a greater likelihood that maybe you do get do you get an opportunity to compete in a Grand Prix? I just I think this is is good for him, and it just gives him more exposure on the grid and in the paddock, and it helps provide a runway to him potentially getting a, a permanent seat in the future. Yeah, hundred uh, percent, and I think you nailed it, uh, Mark. I, I think that uh, that that most people find uh, Mick a, a very personable and likable uh, driver, and um, yeah. I mean, we, we can go down that rabbit hole about his time at Haas and just, uh, you know, how that obviously didn't work out. But the, 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 the mechanisms just weren't there to really help him develop and go as far as he could, right? And, and we don't really know. Maybe he did hit the ceiling, right? I mean, I don't want to necessarily throw shade at, uh, at Haas, but maybe he had hit the ceiling. But I mean, he's still a young driver. He, you know, he, he should hopefully get that opportunity to mature now and like you say be exposed to so many different people and so many different processes and so many different opportunities to help develop himself as a driver and, and be a reserve driver like you say for two teams that that's got to be I don't think I've heard of that one before so I mean there is a very good opportunity like you say Hammy to see him in a in a car this year uh, for for one reason or another I mean <laughs> hopefully not for the for, for the covid reasons but it does uh, happen uh, quite a bit okay moving along this is a uh, you know this whole political statement thing here and the you know the controversy that's uh, kind of kicked off that's uh, come back uh, again this week some comments from uh, helmet marco and also from uh, alfa romeo driver valtteri bottas who said quote Personally, I don't like politics. I like doing what I love, which is racing. But uh, politics is still part of today's world. I think that Formula One has done a good job in raising awareness for some of these types of questions and a lot of drivers as well. For example, Sebastian, I don't know why the FIA wants to control us. I think we should have the right to speak out uh, about whatever we want to. That's how we see it. But we'll see what happens. End quote. Interesting that uh, that Valtteri Bottas, uh, you know, spoke up on this issue. I mean, he's not really a very kind of vocal person to begin with so uh, i'm surprised that uh, that that he piped up uh, about it uh, you know in, in the first base yeah nothing further to add no <laughs> what you're thinking, you're I, thinking. I, I do <laughs> and to be honest i was kind of pre-reading a couple of articles ahead but uh but yeah i i you know i think my position on this has changed and i think when this was first revealed earlier this year, maybe late December, early January, my belief, my impression at that time was that this was a unilateral decision that was made in collaboration between the teams, the commercial rights group, Liberty, 
and the FIA. And I think as time goes on, I've begun to pivot from that. And I wonder how much of this was a unilateral push from the FIA, independent of the teams and independent of the commercial rights group. And I, I couldn't I couldn't substantiate that over the last couple of weeks because we hadn't really heard anything from the drivers or the teams. Obviously, Zach Brown had made a comment that seemed in support of the FIA's new prerogative on political statements. But now we're starting to get this, like Valtteri Bottas. Personally, I don't like politics. I like doing what I love, which is racing. But politics is still part of today's world. I don't know why the FIA wants to control us. And then also this comment from Helmut Marco, who rejects the quote-unquote clearly wrong FIA stance on political statements that now we're starting to see some really significant people within the paddock, a prominent Grand Prix winning driver in Valtteri Bottas and Helmut Marco, who has a disproportionately large role in the world of Formula One <laughs> and in with Red Bull, making statements clearly in opposition to what the FIA hopes to impose. And, you know, I feel like you and I had a really good conversation about this a couple of weeks ago because the FIA mm-hmm. has made this statement and they've introduced this mandate. I still don't know how they're going to man. I still don't know how they're going to enforce it. I still don't know who's going to be the one that that moderates and approves what statements are appropriate and what aren't. I don't know who's going to go to some of the drivers on the grid that wear crosses and explain to them that, Hey, based on the sporting regulations, you need to remove that religious symbol. Like I still don't know how any of this is going to, to play out. Um, I don't like it. I don't think it's necessary. I don't know how they're going to enforce this, uh, but it's good to start hearing from some folks within the paddock about their distaste for this new mandate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's good to hear other uh, voices uh, speaking up rather than just say Lewis or Sebastian Vettel. I mean, Seb is out of the sport now due to retirement. But I, I must admit, I found Marco's comments a little bit ironic. Uh, he said uh, in a <laughs> yeah, quote to uh, RTL, he says, uh, quote, this decision is clearly wrong. Drivers are responsible citizens who are in the global public eye and know what they have to say. In general, we are a democratic society and everyone can express their opinion and quote this comes from the mouth of a person whose team is very strict on things and you know it's the drivers expressing their sort of personalities through helmet paint jobs and things like <laughs> like that so I, I can't believe that he would be extremely excited if uh, one of his drivers started spouting off about political messages but who knows uh, maybe he could be pleasantly surprised but uh, yeah although that might not have been a bad thing I, I don't think that uh, I was really uh you know, really impressed when uh, Ricardo left Red Bull and was allowed to design his own helmets. I was kind of kind of thought to myself, mm, yeah, maybe maybe those Red Bull parameters for helmet designs weren't such a bad thing for you, Daniel. But hey, maybe, you know, <laughs> that that's just my own personal uh, you know opinion. You Wait, know, are you saying you didn't long- like Daniel's helmets? He said some killer killer helmets. Yeah, I mean, so like the the one off that they had when what was it last year, or the year before when McLaren had that uh, special livery at uh, at Monaco, that was a cool helmet. But his kind of like just sort of like I guess it's kind of kind of like an eighties kind of retro throwback, which I'm usually good with because you know I kind of got like a you know thing about the eighties and that kind of look. But just in, just in general, I I don't find his helmets like really exciting. It just doesn't doesn't do it for me. But hey. You know, if he if he likes it, then I guess that's all that uh, <laughs> that really Man, matters. This is one of those times where I think you and I diverge, and don't forget that Daniel also had a Kobe Bryant tribute helmet at one point as well. He's had some. I think he's had some great lids. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like the the tribute ones and some of the very like special one off ones. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. But uh, like it's just sort of like basic one that uh, that that you know his sort of baseline one, if you want to call it that. That one doesn't really do anything okay. for me very much. We're allowed to disagree. We'll, we'll, we'll We're allowed to disagree. We're allowed to disagree. Note this date and time because people <laughs> criticize us that you guys <laughs> we, we we always agree with each other. So there you go. There, there's a first time for everything. Okay, so moving along. Uh, next article comes from the official Formula1.com website. And who is Alessandro Aluni Bravi and why is he now a senior role with the Alfa Romeo squad? This is just uh, one of uh, a couple of stories about uh, Alfa Romeo that we're going to talk about. But there's there's a picture of uh, Andreas Seidel standing there beside this very, very sharp-looking guy who looks very focused and very professional. So tell us more, Mark Hamilton. Who is this uh, th- this new name? You tell me. <laughs> I, Dude, you're the one that did the show outline, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, so so am I. So I'm going to quote here from Lawrence Bredo. This was the story from F1. I think he does a pretty good job of introducing not only the character, but also the fact that it's now clear that Alfa Romeo F1 isn't going to run a full-time team principal uh, on the grid this year, but rather we'll have effectively a representative. So I'm going to quote here from Lawrence Barreto. Sauber run, Alpha now partially owned Alpha, partially Audi owned Sauber run Alpha Romeo will contest the 2023 F1 season That's a without a formal <laughs> team principal with new CEO Andreas Seidel giving Bravi a more expansive role as team representative, quote unquote. F1 correspondent Lawrence Bredo explains what this means. When Sauber owner Finn Rousing drafted in Seidel and CEO, the plan was for, was for the former McLaren team boss to take a bigger, more strategic position focused on transforming the outfit into newcomer Audi's work ops operations from 2026 onwards and delegated the day-to-day running to a team principal. However, sources say Alfa Romeo, who will leave as partner at the end of this campaign, have a say in who the team principal will be for 2023. This made it trickier for the incoming Audi to put one of their own selections in this role. So interestingly, that Alfa Romeo, as the current title sponsor, effectively had a veto on who the team principal Hmm. would be. So in this case, Audi clearly had some people they wanted in that role. And Alfa Romeo, as a roads car competitor, was disinterested. And the article continues. So after some consideration, Seidel opted not to appoint a direct replacement for Vassour, Fred Vassour, who will lead uh, Ferrari in 2023, and instead create a flatter structure for the season. They can then evolve it again next year if required. With that in mind, it made sense to extend the remit of Bravi, who was made managing director last year, which put him in charge of finance, IT, marketing, communications, and HR, who is well regarded by owner Rousing and Seidel in the short term. A lawyer by trade, the Italian has extensive motorsport experience, including holding the role of team principal and managing director of then GP2 squad Trident. He's been involved in the Sauber setup since 2017 as part of the board and has management experience, including with Robert Kubica. He knows how the operation works, is articulate, and has the skill set to take on the responsibility of representing the team in official functions, such as being the spokesperson at the track, being plugged into engineering briefings, and being across the race weekend. 
operations, uh, being across the race weekend operations, including the comms on the pit wall. So again, this is quoting from Lawrence Barreto at F1.com. So it seems, my friend, that this is all very strategic, that this is somebody that is mm-hmm. already very well plugged in and knowledgeable about the entire Sauber operations, but that Andrea Seidel went in with a very, very clear understanding of a team principal candidate that they and Audi wanted. But because Alfa Romeo had a veto on who that person would be, they opted not to fill that role so as not to have to give Alfa Romeo their input on who would take that role, but have rather created this flatter structure and have introduced Bravi, who will effectively operate like a pseudo team principal and will be able to do so as the person that Audi, at least temporarily, wants to lead the team while Seidel takes over the grander transformation of Sauber into an Audi works team. Yeah, I think this is a, a fascinating little uh, l- little story here. And I love the creativity that they've done to basically find a loophole because, you know, if say they wanted to put in for example, well, I mean, yeah, who knows who they would have would have put in, but they wanted to put in a specific person as a, as team principal, like you say. I mean, like Alfa Romeo effectively has this veto, and they they they've basically you know cut them off from their own veto by doing this. Is like, yeah, well, Bravi, he's he's a team principal, but not really. He's he's also our IT guy, our marketing guy, our communications and HR person. But you know, I think it's uh, you know it's fascinating as well because lawyers everywhere are probably like what. He, the lawyer's a team principal. I'm putting my name in for the next uh, Formula One print team principal job that comes up. But yeah, it, it's interesting too because, you know, all joking aside, because uh, Bravi does have quite a bit of experience in motorsports. So it, it's not like it's just sort of a, a, a placeholder position. It's like, you know, here, uh, Alessandro, come in here, run the show for a year just to don't screw it up. I mean, he's obviously a, a very accomplished, a very smart person that uh, that that has uh, experience in different levels of uh, of a uh, form or sorry in in motor racing and has even uh, uh, managed drivers like uh, Robert Kubica. I wonder what what point in Kubica's uh, career he was involved. But uh, anyways, uh, very 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 cool story to see. And, and this, this seems to me, uh, you know, it seems very Seidel esque. You know, I, I've I've got the opinion of uh, formed the opinion over him or about him over the past. Uh, several years since he joined uh, McLaren from he was what uh, poured the head of Porsche's LMP1 project uh, wasn't it in uh, endurance cars I believe it was anyhow uh, he just seems to be to, to be a very very clever uh, you know very clever person and I wasn't surprised at all when you know his name came out uh, you know with the linking with the Audi and the whole move to 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 run that project and this is this this is you know, story worth watching because what are they going to do next year? Because when when Alpha Romeo sees, you know, walks out that exit door and and leaves Formula One for for the last time, then you know, I, I just get this sort of picture in my mind of uh, Seidel rubbing his hands like, "All right, they're gone. Let's get down to work and you know, let's do what we you know what we really need to do." So, I, I wonder who that that long term replacement will be that will actually take over from uh, from from uh, Bravi and actually have the proper or have the the official title of of uh, of team principal. What did you say? Like uh, Bravi's official role was? Oh, team representative. Yeah, isn't that that's a tricky uh, play on words. I like it. I definitely one to to watch uh, going forward. 
So, um, Alpha Romeo Formula One team has announced a co-title partnership with Steak, and that is not the steak, you know, that uh, you throw in your barbecue. This is Steak, S-T-A-K-E. I do not know them at all. Let me uh, let me oh, take this one, yeah. Daily. So, is is it a crypto? Is it crypto? I'm it's not. not cryptos are like it's not, but it's not a lot better. They were the thing ten months ago. Yeah. Cryptos were the thing to have as an advertiser in Formula One, but so I'm gonna roll. My my eyes at this because steak defines themselves as a lifestyle company but at the end of the day they're an online digital gambling platform and they okay so how are they reframing that like to a lifestyle company if they're like an online casino i think it's because of their collaboration with celebrities and online influencers and i i I get frustrated because Mm. i'm not a big gambling fan I don't gamble. I, I don't have issue if people enjoy gambling and, and it's exciting for them and it's fun for them. I don't like it. Um, I'm still a little bit uncomfortable with how close gambling has become to major professional sports. Like I've said before, I'm a huge Drake fan. Drake is a huge partner with Stake, S-T-A-K-E, um, <laughs> but, uh, but it looks like they're going to become a co-title sponsor with Alfa Romeo, at least for this year. So it'll be effectively Alfa Romeo Team Alfa Romeo Stake F1, uh, which is a bit of a mouthful in and of itself. But I think given a choice between a gambling um, digital betting site and a cryptocurrency site, I, I would probably take the gambling company, but I'm still, I'm always a little uncomfortable um, when it, the proximity between gambling and professional sports gets quite so close, but it's become normalized. Obviously, I think um, professional gambling in the UK and in Western Europe as it relates to professional sports has been commonplace for decades and it's becoming more common in North America and presumably it's closely regulated and governed, but it's just a personal thing. I'm just not a big fan, but yeah, Stake is a lifestyle company that specializes in online gambling and sports betting. Yeah, the, the the one thing that I've always had an issue is, um, you know, if you watch like in the uh, English Premier League soccer, and the, you you see like the, the the teams like their their shirt sponsor is like a betting company. I always that that's never really sat quite right and with in, me. I'd, like, you've been to I, I can, like in stadium betting, yeah. like you can do betting yeah, yeah, exactly. on, on the concourses yeah. at the stadiums in the Premier League. Yeah, I, I've I've got a bit of like a, a bit of an issue with that. I mean, I guess it's one thing if it's like on those um, you know electronic signboards around the side of the pitch, or it's like a you know like an advertisement on the concourse or something like that. But when the players have it like on their shirts, and yeah, I, I don't know that I just. Uh, doesn't sit well with me that uh, that that bothers me to a certain degree so yeah i don't know like we, we talked about it before that we're, we're not really big fans of the whole like crypto thing in, in in formula one i mean that seems to really have gone off the boil awfully quickly i mean you and i are old enough to remember the the, the dot-com bubble absolutely that burst uh, you know like pretty much what well, it was about 20 years ago to the day more or less i mean it was early you know 2000s right and 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 the, these whole crypto things uh you know has a similar feel to it because it seemed like it was going like it was happening all the time it was like every other week it sounded like for one formula one team or another was announcing a, a partnership with a crypto so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> don't know if this is an upgrade there or is, not. Though, okay, move. There is a much more positive Sauber story coming up. Do we have time yes. before the next break? We can make yeah, this one quick. Of course. 
So as yeah, okay. as we've discussed so many times in the past, Sauber has declared a quote unquote important milestone as in January, Audi has officially acquired a minority stake in the company ahead of its full full-fledged work entry, works entry in the sport in 2026. So as we've discussed a couple times in the past and as has been reported, Audi will slowly ramp up its ownership stakes in the company until it takes on a majority stake at some point in the next couple of years. January represents a milestone because it was the first the first phase of that ramp up in ownership. So Sauber had announced via press release a couple of days ago that, uh, that Audi has made their first payment and they now own a not insignificant though still minority chunk in the business so oddly the sauber alfa romeo stake f1 team is now partially owned by audi now of course alfa romeo branding will drop off the car next year but uh in the meantime the ferrari powered alfa romeo branded sauber formula one team is partially owned by audi Hmm. That that's just uh, confusing. The world of Formula One. <laughs> so, man. so what is? Yeah, it's, that it is just so Formula One at the same time. So, you know, I, I've been very excited to watch and listen to this story of of Audi coming into Formula One for all these weeks and months that uh, that you and I have been talking about it. Are they going to be like? How much will they take up in ownership and Sauber by the by the time it's all said and done? Will will they become just like majority owners that they have like? 51% of the shares or are they going to buy them out completely that that's one thing and you know I've I haven't informed myself so maybe that's we don't, known out we there don't I officially just, we know don't re- but I think what's been mm, reported okay. is, is that they expect to take on 75% of the equity in the company so uh, a very yeah. significant majority position uh but they I think Finn Rousing intends to keep 25% of the Sauber group Mm-hmm. And where is Peter Sauber in all of this now? Is he just retired? Yeah, he must be pretty much at this point, uh, isn't it? Okay, so let's uh, take one final timeout when we come back. Got a couple more stories to talk about uh, tonight before we turn off the lights uh, for another week, and we'll do so in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to the show, everybody. And Mark, before we uh, get into the last couple of news stories, there's uh, been a couple of questions in the live chat on YouTube directed at you specifically. And obviously, you can't see it uh, because uh, you're looking at uh, your monitor, but about some of the things that that we can all see over your right shoulder, especially there's there's a, a, a little bear. Everybody wants to know about the bear tonight. So can, can you expand on that? There, there's a big smile there. So there's obviously a story. So let's hear it, Hammy. Yeah, so that bear, and actually I should, I should have the live chat feed up, but there's a Japanese toy company that makes a line of products called, I can't ever remember if it's Bear Brick or Brick Bear. I'm double checking right now. Bear Brick. They make a series of these Bear Brick plastic toys. And they come in three different sizes. They come in what they call a 100% size, which is probably a couple of inches. They make a 400% size, which is probably, I don't know, five or six inches. And then they do a 1,000% bare brick. And that's what this is. And it's probably two 
I'm looking over my shoulder here, two and a half, three feet tall, but they do a mm-hmm. variety of different ones. And they're usually super limited releases. They're collaborations with design houses. Um, there could be a collaboration with Disney or a movie company. And the one that I have was a collaboration with Drake and OVO that was released a couple of years ago. Interestingly, the drop happened at 9 a.m. on a Friday morning, at which time I was scheduled with a vendor partner at work for a very important annual QBR. I paused the QBR. I paused this QBR, left, got on the site, refreshed like crazy, managed to get it in my basket, bought it, and then resumed the meeting. So not my proudest moment, but I was very ecstatic that I could get it. But if anyone wants to Google it, it's Bear Brick, B-E, the at symbol R, B-R-I-C-K, Japanese toy company. I think it's called Medicom. And they produce a series of these. Some of them are worth tens of thousands of dollars tens and tens of thousands of dollars. This one during the crazy, crazy fanatical collecting spree when all the when both the governments in Canada and the US were pumping cash into the economy the last couple of years. This one I think at one point was close to about ten thousand dollars in value. It's collapsed now back to about wow. two or three. Paid seven nine hundred for it originally back in twenty nineteen, but very popular collectible toy. And I've been waiting eagerly because I'm assuming that there's going to be a bare brick F1 collaboration at some point in the near future. No, that'd be pretty cool. That would be really cool. All right. Well, that's uh, good to know. So let's uh, move on now. The story everybody's been asking about, not really, but uh, this is fun to talk about anyways. Uh, This comes from uh, Planet F1 and Michelle Foster's story. Lance Stroll wants Fernando Alonso's pushy side to help bring out his best in 2023. So Lance, of course, has been at um, Aston Martin for a couple of years uh, and previously was a racing point. Uh, He has been uh, partnered up with uh, Sebastian Vettel for the past two years and uh, Seb obviously a four-time world champion what with Sebastian retiring at at the end of last year that made uh, or that left an opening in the team which was filled by Fernando Alonso and he's coming to race for them uh, next year he's got a couple of chips under his belt as well and the team believe that Fernando is the perfect uh, person to really help drive their Formula One project forward as they continue to pump money into their into everything especially with that uh, new state of the art uh, factory wind tunnel sim coffee maker and etc that they have Uh, but uh, Lance is also counting on Fernando to really push him along and really help uh, bring the best of him out. I think this is kind of an interesting one because these two had a coming together at Coda last year. Anyways, uh, Lance said in an interview with Motorsport.com, quote, it's no fun when you're just kind of driving around with no one pushing you. I think what you want uh, in a teammate is a guy that is at the top of his game. It means that when you get uh, out of it, uh, more out of it than, than him, you're really at the top of your game and vice versa. When you're not getting the most out of it, it's not that you can just sit back and relax. You've got to try and work harder. I think that's what you want from the team at the end of the day and also for them to know that if you guys are pushing each other and always getting everything out of the car and the package, end quote. So there you go. So he agree disagree i mean the one thing is fernando controversial figure he's still proving at what 42 years old that he's still a pretty good racing driver absolutely and i think if not for the reliability issues he encountered with the with the alpine last year he would have finished significantly higher in the world drivers championship standings i'm very very eager but man you and i sat here a couple of years ago and we talked about how excited we were that that 
that Lance Stroll was going to be finally paired with a world-class championship caliber driver who was going to be able to push him forward and whom he was going to be able to work with and share data and, and sit in driver briefings with. And that didn't seem to really have a significant impact on Lance's career. I hope, I hope for his sake that Fernando can light a huge fire under Lance, less so in terms of sharing data and telemetry and sitting in the briefing room, but simply push him on track. And I want nothing more than for Fernando to have a monster year and either put Lance in a position where he feels that he needs to compete at that level and it significantly amplifies his personal performance um, or he falls off the map because I think there's a distinct possibility that Fernando Alonso can significantly outperform Lance this year and that's not going to be good for his his career the one thing just while we're talking about Aston Martin I, I had a thought that occurred to me over the last couple of weeks you know Lawrence Stroll has been he's been a great even though we haven't seen the success yet with Aston Martin on the track I still I'm still convinced that he's doing all of the right things with this organization. He was very clear from the jump that he had a 5-year roadmap for this team that he wanted the team to compete for world championships in 5 years and he's been step by step building up this team and by that, I mean investing in the factory and investing in the wind tunnel and recruiting the best people in the sport. He never said that this was going to be a two-year journey or a three-year journey. He was always very clear from the beginning that this was a long-term project and that he was going to treat it as such. So while some people, including myself, have been a little impatient in the last 18 to 24 months, I have to remind myself sometimes that Lawrence is investing in this for the long term and that they really had to start from scratch with this car and this team and the chassis. So I'm, I'm going to try to be a little bit more patient, but I would expect significantly more out of Fernando this year than we saw from either Lance or from Sebastian Vettel last year. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really, really good point that uh, that you make. That uh, this is a long term and uh, project, and also an investing project, if you want to call it that, for for Lawrence Stroll as well. Because, I mean, even though they had Racing Point, that was that was a team that just kind of like ticked along and just kind of went, you know, where they were Force India. I mean, VJ Malia didn't really put in a ton of money they kind of did some impressive things from time to time and definitely punched above their weight but they they never really i think reached the potential that uh, that not just for themselves but a formula one team could could reach because i mean you have to remember that um, that aston martin and racing point have bill still been in the same facility that uh, that 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 force india was in and it was old it was small it was just uh, not anywhere on the same level as many of the other facilities that uh, than any of the other Formula One teams have. But, you know, having said that, uh, you know, Fernando, I mean, he brings a wealth of experience with him. And uh, it, it's interesting that they say that, uh, you know, he's the perfect person to help drive their project forward because I, I just can't help. But um, I, I kind of have like a love-hate relationship with uh, Fernando Alonso. I mean, there's no doubting what uh, an exceptionally talented driver he is. But he's kind of had this... I've I wouldn't go all out to, to say like a scorched earth policy everywhere he's been in Formula One, but he, he's definitely burned some bridges along the way when he's left different teams and, and moved along. And uh, he's had some very contentious relationships, you know, that's to put it mildly, with some of his teammates. So I, I think that, you know, Lance... You know, and I, I don't think that Lance is naive by any stretch of the imagination at this point. Uh, it, it is crazy. He's not 18 anymore. I mean, 
he came into the sport as a kid. He's like a grown up man now, which kind of makes me feel older and older every year. But, you know, the, I, I just can't help but wonder if, you know, when, when Lance says stuff like that, I'm almost kind of thinking to myself, careful what you wish for, buddy. I mean, this is Fernando Alonso. It's it's OK right now. But, you know, come March when things get serious, you guys are both out there on the track. And if it comes between you and, and Fernando for battling it out for race position or points, I mean, he's not going to ease off because you've been there longer. He's not going to ease off because you're the boss's son. I mean, Fernando races for one person only, and that's Fernando. So <laughs> there's that. I, I mean, I, I don't think you would see that any other way, Mark. No. 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 <laughs> no head shake. <laughs> no, dude, I, I agree with everything everything that you say. And by the way, I, I love that point about burning bridges that that is, and we talked a little bit about this with Bird Pinkerton last summer about his ever so brief initial foray with the McLaren team back in 2007. And what an absolute yes. nightmare that that was, that he was threatening to take the team and and reveal their 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 spygate misgivings to the FIA. And of course, that relationship burned out in a hurry and he almost quit mid-season. And then of course, he goes back in a shock move. He goes back to McLaren. And of course, it's a disaster because the Honda power unit was a was a reliability nightmare. But he certainly burnt bridges everywhere he's been. Um, I thought his career was going to end with Alpine. I was convinced that he was appreciative enough to the team that helped him win two world championships in 05 and 06, that that's where he would ultimately finish his career. And, you know, like you said, Fernando, and there's nothing wrong with this, but Fernando drives for Fernando and he was given term and money at Aston Martin that Alpine were never going to be able to deliver to him. And, and he did the thing that was best for him. So cool for Fernando. And I can't wait to see how he performs this year, because like you said, as a 42 year old, I still, I still have more confidence in him than I do a lot of the drivers on the grid that are 15 years younger than him. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And another fascinating story to keep an eye on this year. So final story of the night, last and definitely not least, uh, this comes from uh, Sam Cooper over at uh, Planet F1. And uh, Sam was saying that uh, Sebastian Vettel has not yet decided if he will continue on in his role as the GPDA director, that's the Grand Prix Drivers Association. Uh, the drivers have given him until the start of this year to make his uh, decision. If he does uh, decide to step away, Alex Wirtz, who's the uh, chairman and also former Grand Prix driver, Formula One Grand Prix driver, said that uh, a vote will take place at the uh, first race, uh, European race, that is, at Baku uh, later on this uh, spring to find a replacement for Sebastian Vettel. I, I had no idea that Alex Wirtz was uh, still involved in the GPDA. I know that he has been for, for, for many, many years, but I, I was surprised that uh, that that he was uh, still hanging on in such a, a capacity. That's a kind of an interesting little organization. I don't really know too much about what they do, but it's not so much a union or something like that, but it's just, a, a, I, I guess the, the best way to explain it is it's a, it's a collaboration of the drivers to sort of speak up on certain interests uh, or, or certain issues and defend their interests or whatever it might be. I, I don't know. Do you, can you elaborate on that anymore? I, I, th I think that's about the best way I can kind of distill yeah, I think it that's, down. I think that's a pretty good it. job. And, and I think one of the yeah. foremost issues for the Grand Prix Drivers Association historically has been safety. 
related issues. And, and certainly they were quite yeah. vocal the first year that we were in Jeddah um, because of the sight lines. And I think the GPDA was very vocal uh, last year when a tractor was brought out on track in Japan, when there were still cars on the track that certainly they advocate on behalf of all of the drivers um, when it comes to safety issues, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, Mark, I think we're at the uh, the point of the show where we've actually run out of things to talk about. While while you've been, you know, we've been talking, I've also been pulling up uh, like things on the Bear Brick site, and I found <laughs> a, a Vincent Van Gogh uh, <laughs> the themed one, a one thousand percent one that goes for about six hundred and fifty US. But they also have like a I was just looking on a, a partner website of theirs that sells Daft Punk suits so there you go if you ever wanted to dress up like the uh like daft punk there you go you can head over to mtc.tokyo and they got all sorts of like really cool cool things there and i, I could spend a lot of money here quite quickly so i should probably <laughs> either focus on the show or close my browser before i reach for my visa and start to spending spending money but maybe who knows maybe i'll have like a, a bear brick over my shoulder sometime in the near future hammy before we go good fun as usual what is it you like to remind everyone of usually at this point uh of my the week? weekly spiel is if you enjoy this show <laughs> and you listen on apple please give us a rating and a review and if you listen to us on spotify if you enjoy what we do give us a rating it means the world to both of us and it does so much to help promote our podcast on those platforms so if you can do that for us and to all of you that have already thank you so much and to all of you that will do it soon thank you as well yeah we really 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 do appreciate it i can't uh, emphasize that uh, enough and before we go want to give a shout out to to all of you that uh, joined us on the live stream tonight on youtube we do it each and every week or each and every time we do a show. It's just that we're a little bit uh, erratic when we do it. Although we typically sit down at 9 p.m. on a Thursday, but that's Pacific time. I know a lot of you guys that uh, that live on the East Coast uh, would love to, to join in, but... Uh, yeah, we're just you no, know, not not so much Mark, but it's more on me. <laughs> Has a bit of a issues with, with scheduling and trying to get my family to cooperate with the uh, things that would allow me to do it at an earlier time. But we try, I try, anyways. And uh, just uh, one final reminder: if you want to get in touch, send us a tweet at ScooterF1Pod or an email at ScooterF1Pod at gmail Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. We'll be back on Sunday night to talk about some other stuff, whatever it might be. Hammy's already on uh, top of it, so we'll talk to you then. Bye for now. Have a good one, everyone.